you may have said or you may have heard words like these. I can't pray. I can't talk to this person and I can't talk to that person. I can't even go out in public and be seen. I can't go back to church. I can't be right with people. And I can't be right with God because of what I've done. I'm an outcast. I'm no good. Nobody wants to be around me. I'm not worthy. I am a loser. These are comments that have been said to me by different people at different times over the years. Comments that have been shared with our ministry staff, with our deacons, with others. Uh, comments that have been shared not just in and through the ministry of this church, but in and through ministries of churches everywhere and felt by people of all stripes and colors and shapes and sizes down through history. We get to those times where we feel like we have crossed some line and we can't go back. We've gotten so bad that nothing good can ever happen to us. That that's that's the, the, the person that we're talking about today, perhaps in this room. You may feel that way, but there's a person in the Bible that felt that way as well. And it's the woman of the well of Samaria in John chapter 4. I want to ask you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to John chapter 4. And as you do, I want to ask you to stand to your feet as we read together from God's Word, John chapter 4. We're spending time, we're starting this message series of, of looking at just who Jesus is and how Jesus impacts the lives of those around him and how he still continues to impact lives today. And so here we see in John chapter 4, Jesus encountered an outcast Samaritan woman at a well outside of town and he shared with her the good news. And good news, good news? That's good news, isn't it? Good news. The good news of the gospel. She had strikes against her in, the, in her own eyes, in the eyes of those around her. But she learned in this encounter, just like I hope you can learn if you're here today and you're feeling something similar, that we never have struck out with God so bad that God can't come in and make a difference in our lives. We're never so far away that God can't reach down and reach us right where we are. The well is never so deep that God can't get to the bottom of it. The, the distance is never so great to the east or to the west that God can't be there. And this woman found that to be true. And I hope today if you're struggling or dealing with some obstacle in your life, whether you're already a Christian or you've not become a Christian, and I want to say yet that God will, will answer and break through those barriers even yet today with the gospel. I'm going to read for you just a couple of verses, starting in verse number 13. Jesus said to the woman, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty. Then verse 42, at the end, the people that had gathered said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed, Jesus, this indeed, he is the Savior of the world. Amen, Amen to that? 
Our Heavenly Father, today in the brief moments we have, as we look at the great truth that Jesus is the great evangelist who breaks through all barriers and all obstacles that would stand in the way of us coming to know God through faith in Him, Lord, break through barriers even yet today as we pray in the name above all names, the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. All right, please be seated. A couple of, of words to define, just in case you're not quite sure what they mean. First is the word evangelist. I'm talking today about Jesus as the great evangelist. The word evangelist is simply someone who bears good news. And in the Christian realm, it's somebody who bears the good news of the gospel. And you may say, well, what is the gospel? The gospel, very simply, is the, is the Bible teaching that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the Savior of the world. How he came into the world and lived a sinless life, died on the cross in our place. All of us who are sinners, and that's all of us, he died in our place and for our sins. He was exchanged for us. He took our punishment so that we could go free. And he was buried after he died on the cross, and he was raised on the third day. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21 says it this way. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin when Jesus knew no sin, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. Did you get that? So that you and I, who are sinful and separated from God... Because of Jesus, we can become the very righteousness of God. So that when it is spoken about us in heaven, when we know Jesus as our Savior, they will call your name and my name and they'll say, oh, she's righteous. Oh, he is righteous. They, are, they have the perfection of God in them because the Son of God is in them because of their faith in him. So this story... John chapter 4. Jesus and his disciples are traveling, and they're traveling from the south uh, up to the north to Galilee, and right in the middle of that journey is, is, is Samaria. And, and, and so, so in verses 3 and 4, there in John chapter 4, we, we have this statement. That Jesus left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. That sounds pretty straightforward. He's, he's down here in the south and he's going up to the north and Samaria's in the middle. But, but what we need to understand is that Samaria uh, was, was the land uh, and an area and a people that the Jews looked down on. The easiest route, the shortest route, was to go straight through Samaria to go up to Galilee. But many Jews went around Samaria to avoid being around, well, those people. But Jesus said that he was going through Samaria. And so what we see here in this story that's about to unfold and we'll talk about as we go along, what we see unfolding here is that Jesus addresses and overcomes barriers between himself as Savior and, the, and this outcast woman that paints a beautiful picture of Jesus breaking through any barrier to get to you and to get to me and to get to them, whoever them happens to be. And that's exciting. Let's talk about these barriers that are overcome in the gospel. First of all, I want you to notice that the gospel overcomes gender. The gospel overcomes gender. Now, in our day and time, we might not think that's such a big deal. We have men and we have women here in, in the worship service today. We have men and women pretty much everywhere that we go. And, and men speak to women and women speak to men. And in the world we live in, there's, there's the equality that exists. But it was not so in the first century. We live, in fact, in a very gender 
fluid society. If you watch the news and all the things that are out there, there has been discrimination towards women. There, there, there perhaps still is in some form or fashion. There is turmoil in our nation even now in some different ways concerning gender relationships. Let me read for you verses 5 to 9 and again verse 27. This is Jesus on the trip going through Samaria. He came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that, Joseph had, that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, the hot part of the day. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? In, in those days, men did not speak to women in public. And so we see in verse 27, it goes on, that when his disciples came back, this is now the end of the story. When his disciples came back, they marveled that he was talking with a woman. That was unheard of. You don't do that in first century. He was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? In doing some research for the, for the message this morning, I found a, a great article at crossway.com, uh, how Jesus valued women. And here's some, some of the things that the article says. In the first century world, women were regarded as second-class citizens. Jesus' approach to women was revolutionary and it was liberating and in our day and time, it's often overlooked. For Jesus, women have equal value to that of men. See any ladies say amen to that? Amen. Any men say amen to that? Amen. If you're smart, you'll say amen. That's right. <laughs> Jesus had said things like, At the beginning, the Creator made them male and female, equal in the image of God, equal in the sight of God. And then there's some examples from the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It goes on to say this, Jesus regularly addressed women directly while in public, which is unheard of. This was unusual for man to do. The disciples were amazed to see Jesus talking with the Samaritan woman in Sychar. He also spoke freely with the woman taken in adultery. He spoke publicly with the widow of Nain, the woman with the bleeding disorder, and a woman who called to him from a crowd. He also addressed a woman who had been bent over for 18 years and a group of women on the way to the cross. So you see, it was not one isolated moment where Jesus broke through the barrier of speaking to women. He did it repeatedly throughout his ministry and it was well noticed and well noted in the scriptures. The article goes on to say, secondly, there was how Jesus spoke to women. He addressed the women with the bleeding issue as, uh, as daughter in a tender fashion. He refers to the, to the bent woman as a daughter of Abraham. He called Jewish women the daughters of Abraham. Therefore, according to them, a spiritual status equal to that of men. Again, noticed by those who heard him say this. Then thirdly, Jesus did not gloss over the sin in the lives of the women that he met. He held women personally responsible for their own sin as he has seen in the dealings with the woman at the well, the woman taken in adultery, and the, sin, the sinful woman who anointed his feet. Their sin was not condoned, 
but confronted. Each had a personal freedom and a measure of self-determination to deal with issues of sin and repentance and forgiveness. And so we, we look at this and we ask the question, well, how is it that Jesus overcomes this gender discrimination? He overcomes it by addressing and acknowledging and noticing and noting the fact that men and women created are created equally in the sight of God and have equal value to God. Isn't that an amen moment that Jesus overcomes that? So in that, in that culture, as in many cultures throughout history in the world, and unfortunately even in our own to some extent in some places, Women may be looked at as second-class citizens, but we're all equal in the sight of God. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Secondly, the gospel overcomes prejudice. The gospel of Jesus Christ, this good news that we share as a church, this this good news that that has been taught and preached down through history and across the world, and this good news of the gospel overcomes any prejudice that anybody has anywhere. In fact, I'll go ahead and say it this way. There's no room for prejudice in the church. Jews and Samaritans were quite at odds with each other, and they had been for a couple of hundred years. In verse 9 of John 4, in parentheses in English, it says, it says this, the woman had said to Jesus, why are you, a Jew, talking to me? First of all, a woman. Secondly, a Samaritan. Why are you here talking to me in my status as an outcast woman of Samaria? And then in parentheses in English, it says, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. No dealings. They're those people. They're undesirable people. We don't want to be around those people. They are less than we are. Now, now the Samaritans, in the eyes of the Jews, the Samaritans were well, what we might call, what somebody might call half-breeds. Here's what had happened. Centuries earlier, when the Babylonians came and conquered Israel, the Babylonians took into captivity the, the, the upper class, the, the leaders, the, the well-educated, the skillful. They rounded all those folks up, and they... they they deported them over to the, the Babylon so they could serve the kingdom of Babylon and left behind the folks who were not leaders, not educated. And they also relocated other nations that they conquered into Israel so they could disperse and disrupt the, the people there so they would keep them under control. They would not rise up against Babylonians. And over time, these Jews who had been left behind began to intermarry with the other groups of folks that had come along. They had changed their, their, their religious practices. They had changed several things uh, about how they did things. And so, so in that day and time of Jesus, that by the time of the New Testament, the Samaritans were looked down upon as those people. Now, I would say this. As I have grown and, and learned and been exposed to life, It's been my observation that prejudice has always existed in locations that I've been throughout my life. I've seen it in Durham, North Carolina. I've seen it when I lived in Taylorsville, North Carolina. I've seen it when I lived in the big city of Lowell, North Carolina, outside of Charlotte, and then back again to Durham. I've I've been to other places in the nation, in our state, where I've seen uh, pictures and, and, and vestiges and, and comments of discrimination. I've read it in the history books like you have. I've been to other parts of the world and been amazed that there's prejudice among other groups and other people groups throughout, throughout the world and to know that those things have happened throughout history. 
here in the United States, just a couple of reminders that, that we all perhaps know about. There's been the, the treatment, the prejudice aimed at, uh, at Native Americans here in, in, in America. There's the enslavement of blacks, then segregation, then discrimination. And there's all these times when, when I feel like perhaps, you know, we're making some real strides in, in, in racial prejudice. And, and, and believe me, from my observation, and I hope you'll agree, we have made great strides. I guess I'm the only one that feels that way. <laughs> but I'm reminded periodically there's still many steps to take. Even over Christmas, in, in a conversation overhearing uh, surprisingly some derogatory comments about another race just a couple of days ago. There's prejudice towards Asians, Middle Easterners, Hispanics. There's prejudice uh, towards uh, the Irish and the Polish and the Italians back in, in, in the 1940s and the 1950s. There is exclusion of certain groups. There is minority against minority racism. It seems like no matter where you go, somebody is going to be prejudiced against somebody else for some reason. It seems like it's just a normal part of life. But the good news for us as believers and followers of Christ is this. And it's found in Galatians 3, 26 and then 28 and 29. It says, For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Did you catch that? In Christ Jesus, we are all sons and daughters of God through faith. There is no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. You are all sons of God through faith. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither black nor white nor anywhere in between. We're all one in Christ. Isn't that good news that the gospel overcomes any prejudice anywhere? In fact, we can say this, that the promise that God gives overcomes any prejudice from anybody towards anybody else. That's the good news of the gospel. I, I was thinking... This week, knowing that Joel and Paula were going to come for membership, I just got to thinking, in Ridgecrest Baptist Church, what nationalities do we have? And I, this may just be a few. There may be even more. But I thought we've had people here from the Philippines, from South Africa, from Haiti, from Latvia, from Chile. Uh, I'm sorry, Chile. Ecuador, Venezuela, Poland, Italy. We've even got people in this church from the Bahamas. Amen? Shout out to the Bahamas. And it's just a reminder that there's coming a day when we're going to get to heaven and Revelation chapter 7 verses 9 and 10 is going to come true. Let me read it for you. This is in heaven. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Do you get that beautiful picture that when we get to heaven, it's not just white or just black or just Hispanic or just Asian or just Latino or just Venezuelan. It's going to be all of us together in the same place. If you don't like it now, you're going to have a hard time when you get there. 
And aren't you thankful that the gospel breaks through all those barriers and all those obstacles? We look at somebody who speaks differently, who has a different accent, who comes from a different place, who has a different skin tone, who works in a different job, and, and we look at them naturally and we start drawing lines and boundaries, but the gospel breaks through every last line, every last boundary. Everybody is somebody to God and everybody is eligible to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Who are we then to say that anybody is better or less than anybody else? Then there's the obstacle of religion. If you don't want to make waves, you never talk about two things, politics and religion. Some of you have survived such conversations over the holidays, no doubt. Religion. And when I say that Jesus or the gospel overcomes religion, what I'm saying is this, is that as people, we have this tendency to start making up rules or saying what we think or going this way or going that way, getting away from what God has said. And we wind up with a big conglomeration of different religions all across the globe, all throughout history. And one, and all of them can't be true because they contradict each other. That's what was happening with the Samaritans. They'd been left behind when the captivity to Babylon took place. They'd intermarried other nationalities to come in. Uh, they had brought their religious practices with them. And so by the time the Jews came back and they began to, to set up the temple again and worship, the Samaritans were doing their own thing. They had their own place of worship. They were at Mount Gerizim, not in Jerusalem. They had their own version of the scripture. They had their own version of history. When the Jews got back from captivity and the Samaritans, things had changed with the Samaritans which is part of why the Jews look down on them and the Samaritans in turn, like anybody else, say, well, you look down on me, I'm going to look down on you. And it was this barrier there that still exists today in a large uh, portion of Israel. These jumbled up beliefs and practices, as I was reading some of the, the details, reminds me an awful lot of what we see in our world today. You know, you can find a religion for anything out there if you want to. There are folks that, you know, with the legalization of marijuana, there are folks that have formed religions over smoking marijuana. Well, how can you do that? I don't know. Talk to the government. They got it all figured out. <laughs> but religion will get you in trouble because you'll soon discover that this religion is different than that religion is different than that religion. And this one is similar to that one, but they're different from this one. And this one doesn't look like that one. And so before you know it, you've got this hodgepodge of religions that many people will look at and say, I don't need any of it. I don't want any of it. Because all they do is fuss and fight and try to tell you how to live your life. Concerning Christianity in particular, there are those that would look at Christianity and they would say, I like a lot of what it says, but there's some things I don't like. So I'm going to take those things out. For example, some notable things that have been taken out of the Bible are the teachings about hell. We don't like this whole topic of hell, so we'll just take it out and then we'll keep going. There are some that don't like the topic or, or subject of judgment. That we'll all stand before God and give an account of ourselves, so let's take that one out too. There's some that don't like the sexual morality that is taught in the Bible. Uh, they don't like God's standard for marriage. They don't like how, how somebody's saying, this is how you have to conduct yourself in a sexual manner. Well, let's just take that out too. There's some that don't like the fact that Jesus claims to be the only way to God. Well, that's very narrow. 
So we're going to call ourselves Christians. We'll take all these things we don't like, these and others, and we'll take them out, and we'll still call ourselves Christians. And then there's the other side of that. There are folks that want to add to what the Bible says. There, there are folks that, that, for example, they want to say, well, we're going to call ourselves Christians, but you can't be a true Christian unless you dress a certain way. You have to, you have to dress this way. You can't be a, a, a true Christian because it, it, unless you do these certain things. You know, the Bible says we're saved by grace through faith alone, but we also know that God holds you accountable for this in regards to your salvation. There are folks that say, well, we know that, 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 that there are some that teach once saved, always saved, that when you know Jesus as Savior, you're set for all eternity, but there are some that teach you can lose your salvation. So they will add to what the Bible says. So others will take away from what the Bible says. And before you know it, you've got all these different groups that are out in our culture today calling themselves Christian, but they're going in several directions other than what the Bible actually says. And so in the midst of that, how do we get to, to, to Jesus overcoming the religion that we see in our world? It's simply the focus of the gospel. Jesus said in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The only way, the only truth, the only life. No one, no man, no woman, no boy, no girl, no one, Jesus said, comes to the Father except by me. And so the only way to Jesus, the only way to God is through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing, plus nothing, minus nothing. And so Jesus affirms that religion can't get in the way. And then fourthly, we want to see that the gospel overcomes character. Character was a big issue in, in, the, in the life of this woman that Jesus met there at the well. The, the Samaritan woman uh, had, had, let me read for you verses 16 to 18, uh, and it says there, Jesus said to the woman, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. So here we see that, that Jesus is talking to a woman, an outcast. And, and we know she's an outcast because she's coming to the well in the middle of the day when everybody else has come in the morning. She's coming to the well to get water that she needs to live at a time when, when it's the heat of the day, the hot part of the day. And nobody goes to the well at noon. And she's coming perhaps because we see a little bit of her character here. She's been married five different times. And, 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 and so the question might be, well, does being married multiple times really call, into, to, to call somebody into their character, to question character? I'd, I'd respond by saying, you know, multiple marriages does not automatically indicate a lack of character. But it may bring some questions of character. It may bring questions of judgment or morality, questions of faithfulness, questions of contentment, questions of, of commitment. It, it, it's like I heard a story one time. This man says to, to a woman, you look like my fifth wife. She says, your fifth wife, how many times have you been married? He said, four. I found a story from the UK Telegraph. American grandmother Linda Wolfe has become, quote, the most married woman in the world after walking down the aisle. How many times would you say you have to be married to be the most married woman in the world? How many times? What do you think? After walking down the aisle 23 times. And then it says this, and she's now on the lookout for number 24. 
Mrs. Wolf 68 is included in the Guinness Book of World Records for the dubious honor of being wed more times than anyone else alive. What do we do in, in, a, in a culture where, where character is reflected in so many different ways? It might be in marriage. It might be in business. It might be in a social life. Any number of different things that might call character into account. What do we do and how does the gospel break through in that scenario? The words of 2 Peter 1, 5 through 8 says this. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness affection and to affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus overcomes character in that he takes his character and infuses it into our lives so that whatever our character has been can be replaced with the character of Jesus and we no longer have to walk in, in, in the path of whatever character issues we face in the past. We now can walk in the newness of knowing the character of Jesus. And there may be those that might come up to you after you've come to know Christ as Savior, after your life has been changed, and they may say things to you like people have said to me at various times, I know where you come from. I know where you've been. That's the danger of going back to be a pastor in a community where people knew you beforehand. I tell folks it shows the sovereignty of God and the sense of humor of God. But here's the point. Yes, that was me then, but thanks be to God, this is me now. I'm not chained to who I used to be. I am set free from that to be all that God wants me to be now. And I'm not where I'm going to be, but I'm not like I used to be. I've been saved. I've been changed. I've been freed. I am now following after Jesus, my Savior. That's the testimony and how Jesus breaks through character. He simply gives us his character. Fifthly, the gospel overcomes morality. Or really we say it this way, the gospel overcomes immorality. This woman had been married five times, but now she's living with somebody who's not her husband. She said, she said why mess around with marriage? <laughs> been there, done that, and done that, and done that. Our Baptist state paper, the biblical recorder, had an article about two weeks ago that says that the title of it is 2018 study, infidelity, porn, are prevalent sex sins in the church. Now, I say that, and some of your antenna went up. So, wow, I can't believe that actually happens in the church. Others of you are sitting there right now, and you're thinking, okay, what does he know about me? Because the reality is that much of what we see happening in the world also bleeds over into the church. How do we deal with that? In a few weeks, we're going to deal with it some more. But, but for today, how do we deal with the, with the, with the issue of immorality, of, 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 of stepping outside of God's sexual plan and program for you and for me as his followers? In Psalm 119, verse 9, the question is asked, how can a young man keep his way pure? And the answer is, by guarding it according to your word. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, 3 through 5 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, you becoming more like Christ, 
that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. In other words, we are to act sexually as people who know God, not as people who don't know God. One of the, the hallmarks of a Christian is controlling ourselves in that way so that we might be the people of God instead of, and stand apart from others who are not and, enti- and so that they might be enticed and encouraged and they might see the difference Jesus makes in us and they might want what we have. So how do we, how do we get there inside the church? How do we get there as believers and followers of Christ? On the website Desiring God, there's an article, Overcoming Sexual Temptations. And briefly it says, to overcome sexual temptations, we need to escape the prison of pornography. And I know there are many men, especially even in this room, that struggle with that. Escape that prison of pornography. Deny sexual cravings outside of marriage. Deal with the guilt of sexual failure. Express and experience God's forgiveness and and, and move forward. Adopt strategies for fighting lust. Delight in the supremacy of Christ and encourage others to pursue sexual purity. Great, Great insight. The Gospel Coalition has a strategy for purity. They call it FLEE, F-L-E-E, based on uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 6.18, which says flee from sexual immorality. F, fill yourself with Christ. If you're full of Jesus, there's no room for anything else. Amen? L, lock out the lies that compel us towards immorality. It's all a lie. It's just, glitz, it's just glitz and glamour. And you wake up at the end of the day recognizing that whatever pleasure there was is not worth the price that you have to pay. E, exchange lies for truth. And then E, expose yourself to the light. How does Jesus break through the barrier and the obstacle of immorality? He enables us to be set free from that bondage. And he equips us to live lives of purity for his glory. Real quickly, we'll look at verses 16 to 24, and we see that the gospel also overcomes evasiveness. Jesus is talking to this lady, and starting in verse 16, the woman said, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. You know about, my, you know about me without having to, to be told. I perceive you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, now here's this, this lady at the well did exactly what so many of us do when confronted with harsh truth that kind of hits to the heart of right where we are. We evade the topic. We deflect and we go in another direction. We start talking about the weather. We start talking about sports. We start talking about this. We start talking about that. You start talking to me about spiritual matters, and I'm just going to turn it right to another direction. And it's another way of saying, Jesus, you're hitting too close to home here. And that's what she did. She said, oh, you must be a prophet. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? And Jesus went right back and focused right back on the gospel. And so we're reminded 
that Jesus pointed the woman to seek after God who is already seeking after her. When we're tempted to evade the topic, when harsh realities are brought to our attention, we can be refocused on the gospel and be mindful that it is the gospel that delivers us. It is the gospel that sets us free. And I know the feeling like you may know the feeling as well that when these harsh realities are brought to our attention, there's a sense of embarrassment. There's a sense of shamefulness. There's a sense that we've been somehow caught. And then certainly the natural thing to do is to deflect this way and to deflect that way. But, but in the end, Jesus said, the Father is spirit and those who worship must worship him in spirit and in truth. The spirit brings conviction. And conviction, we ought to praise God every day for conviction. Because conviction leads us away from what is wrong and towards what is right. And what is right is the truth. And the truth is that what I've been doing is, is wrong. What I've been doing has gotten me away from God. What I've been doing is built a wall and an obstacle. But in truth, I can break through that and get right back to God by seeking him and following that conviction and following his word in truth and doing the right things. Then lastly, as it all kind of wraps up together, the gospel overcomes lostness. The gospel, this good news of Jesus, overcomes lostness. All of these things are symptoms of lostness. All these things are symptoms of, of not knowing God, not walking with God, not, not, not growing in, in faith with God. And so, so, so all of it boils down to the fact that the main reason that all these other things are true is because we are apart from God and, and what the Bible calls loss. The outcast woman who avoided others, suddenly became the woman who went seeking others to tell them about Christ. I'll read for you verses 28 to 30, then verses 39 to 43. The woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. Can you imagine that? This woman that avoided everybody is suddenly trying to talk to everybody. And this, the, the, the crowd of people there in Sychar who knew this woman as an outcast were suddenly listening to what she had to say. And she was a woman, and they're, they're compelled to believe because of the passion of her story and her testimony. Verse 40, so when the Samaritans came to him, to Jesus, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. Now think about this. This woman who was from the wrong part of town, this woman who was from the wrong race, this woman who was from the wrong gender, this woman who was from the wrong character, this woman who had the wrong set of morals, this woman who was an outcast in every possible way came to know Jesus. Jesus spoke to her. He didn't go to the king's palace. He went to the well and he had a divine appointment with this woman. 
And she came to know him as Savior. And she went and told everybody that she could. And they believed because of what she said. And then they believed because of what Jesus said. What a great thing it is to know that there's no obstacle or barrier that can stand in the way of me coming to Christ. There's no obstacle or barrier that stands in the way of you coming to Christ. There's no obstacle or barrier that, that will keep anybody anywhere from any time in any place from coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. When you have that conversation and somebody says, I am too sinful, I've gone too far, I've done too much, I'm not the right this, and I say the wrong that. When you hear those comments, we can take people to John chapter 4 and point the way and tell them there's no obstacle that Jesus cannot overcome to get you right with him. And if you will only believe, if you'll only believe. We see, here's I conclude. Guys, come up for our last song if you would. Jesus sets the example. If you're, if you're here today and you've never come to know Jesus as your Savior, I want to tell you that you can do that even today. If you're here today and you, you have said it, and may, nobody else may know it, but in your mind you're thinking, I can never qualify to be right with God because he knows all these things I've done. Nobody else knows, but I know and he knows. I'm here to tell you based on the authority of his word, he can break through. He can set you free. If you're here today and you're a believer and you still have been entrapped and enslaved by some of these questions of character and morals and, 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 and all the things that, that go into it, and you're thinking in your mind, even as a believer, that I, I'm, I, I'm a, yes, I'm a Christian, but these things are, are holding me back. And there's no way out, no way around, no way through. I'm here to tell you on the authority of the gospel that he can break through in your life even today. And if that's your situation, I want to encourage you as I finish the message, as we sing our last song, and as we're dismissed, don't leave here today without making things right with God. As much as you would like an opportunity, our pastors will be available. Shay's back here. Austin's over here. I'll be here at the front. Some of our deacons are around. Go talk to David Bishop. He'll even take you to Chick-fil-A in the morning. Find somebody to talk with you, encourage you, pray with you even before you leave. And for all of us who are believers, I want to lastly point out that Jesus sets the example for us in sharing the gospel. A couple of things. Jesus was open to God's leading. He said, you know, we're going up to Galilee, but we have to go through Samaria. The have to was not just because it was the shortest route. There was a divine appointment waiting for him. And if you and I will be open, we'll find ourselves in the midst of divine appointments to which, from which God opens the door to share. It's an amazing thing if you just simply begin each day by saying, Lord, I belong to you. Would you open any door? Would you take me anywhere? Would you give me any conversation? In recent days, I've had conversations with people at Lowe's. I've had conversations with a person at a convenience store. I've had conversations with, with somebody at a funeral. Simply because I've been, I've, been, I've been trying to be spiritually sensitive to opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So be open to God's plan. And then be willing to look past barriers. If somebody is, doesn't look like you, act like you, they're not from around here, they're engaged in all kinds of, of, of questionable issues of character and morals, attitudes are all wrong, they've been critical of the faith, all, no matter what it is, be willing to look past those barriers... And tell that person about the difference that Jesus can make 
and about the obstacles he can break through. And then meet people where they are, right where they are. Jesus met this woman at the well when she was behaving as the outcast that she was. And he took her to God. And we can do the same thing with people if we'll be open. Speak the truth about sin. And speak the truth about salvation. Jesus didn't pull any punches. But he shared God's message and God's standard with truth and with grace. And no doubt the spirit was at work in this woman's life was changed. And as a result, many others there in the town of Sychar were as well. And then simply do this. Watch God work. Watch him work. My prayer this morning is, Lord, help me get out of the way that you might work. Because I know there's some things I've shared this morning that you may have found offensive. You may have found a little over the top. You may have found a little out of bounds. And I'm here to tell you, I'm just simply sharing with you for what what God's Word says. And, And I want to get out of the way and let God move and work in your circumstances, either right where you are or in you to go reach somebody that's outside the walls of this church somewhere, somehow that desperately needs to hear the good news of the gospel that breaks all barriers. I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to sing together a song that we've come to just really embrace here. And that is the song Chain Breaker. That's exactly who Jesus is. He's a chain breaker. And you're here today... And you've got chains wrapped around your heart or wrapped around your, your, your ankle or wrapped around your neck. Whatever form or fashion you've got that, that, those chains that are dragging you down and keeping you back. Just know Jesus is the chain breaker. And that you can confess your sin to him. You can, you can, you can pray and, and, and turn it over to him. And you can leave it there and know that he will break through and he will direct your steps. And as needed, there will be people around who will talk with you and pray with you and encourage you and be there for you. I've mentioned some of our pastors, but there are many of our ladies that are here. And if you don't know one to talk to, you come find me or one of our pastors. We'll put you in touch, ladies, with another lady who can talk to you and pray with you. I'm not trying to belabor the point, but I know it's a sensitive issue in a lot of ways. And I want to make sure you understand the power and impact of the gospel to change the lives of those who will call upon Jesus. There's no chain wrapped around you that is so strong that the gospel can't break through. There's no barrier and obstacle between you and God that is so big or so tough that Jesus can't just break right through it. What is that in your life? What is that in your life? And are you willing right now in the quietness of this moment just to tell God, Lord, here's what it is. And let him know. And say, Lord, I can't do this on my own. I need you. Here it is. Lord, give me your word. Give me your spirit. Give me an encourager. Give me a song. Give me your spirit. Help me to overcome this barrier, this obstacle that's got so tight a grip on me. Lord, save me from my sins in my lostness I turn to Jesus who died on the cross in my place and for my sins I believe 
Jesus. I believe that you are the Savior. I invite you to come into my heart to clean me up, to clean me out, to start fresh and new. Jesus, save me. And thank you for your promise that all who call upon you are saved. Our Heavenly Father, folks have been so gracious today to listen to this message from John chapter 4. They've been so energized already in singing the songs that we have sung. And I expect in just a moment we're going to be energized in singing the song, How That Jesus Is The Chain Breaker. But I know that men and women and our young people right now, across the sections and across the aisles and across the chairs and the rows, there are people being confronted with issues in their life, in their heart. And Lord, I pray today for deliverance. I pray today for salvation. I pray today that you would do what you say that you will do and that people won't believe simply because I've said something, but that they will believe because they have encountered you. And the Lord, we can walk out of this place today set free, saved, clean, forgiven because we have encountered the chain breaker, our Lord and Savior Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.